The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or ill, or in prison, and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of the least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, as a church, we celebrate the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. This marks our transition from the end of one liturgical season into the beginning of another. Next Sunday, we begin the first Sunday of Advent. And so it's important to hear and to recognize what Jesus is culminating with, what he's leading us to, what is the, the, the final say, really, of right now. There was a quote I read earlier this week I just want to start with. It says, Never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. So in that spirit, I just ask that in this homily, you stay with me. Stay with me the whole time. Don't just hear one thing and then tune out because you didn't like it or, you know, it distracted you or whatever. Just stay with me. It's very common to be asked this question, to maybe even hear this question. Do we have to go to Mass on Sunday? Do we need to go to church on Sunday? Do we need to go to Mass every week? And the answer is this. No. We don't have to go to Mass on Sunday. 
We don't have to go to church every week. And we don't have to go to heaven either. It's all a free choice that we make. No one is going to stop you. No one's going to come and pound on your door and pull you out of bed and force you to come into the church. But it will set us on a path away from God. There's an obligation to attend Mass, but that doesn't take away our freedom. And it's actually supposed to direct our freedom. See, heaven is choosing to be with God, whereas hell is choosing to be away from God. And the choice we make on Sunday morning says a lot about what we want. There's another phrase. If you don't want to go to his house on earth, why would you expect to live in his mansion in heaven? You see, free will, something that God has given to every single person, maybe one of the greatest things he's given to us next to our very lives. And he's not going to take that away. He's not going to, to reduce that. But what he will do and what he has done is he will give instruction as to what is in our best interest. So we are obliged to go to Mass, to have a relationship with him. But if you choose not to, we don't have to be in heaven either. So what do we say to people when we hear, well, I don't need Mass, I don't need church, I don't need service, I don't need a relationship, I can form my own relationship with God on my own terms. How do we respond to that? What do we, maybe we've heard that ourselves, maybe we've said that ourselves. Well, it sounds like they've made their own church, that they've defined the relationship instead of allowing God to define the relationship. So, again, continuing, why would God make me? Why would he give me a free will? Why would he allow me to go to hell if I don't listen to him? That doesn't sound like a very generous God, a very loving God, a very kind God. That doesn't sound like freedom. Well, we can see this compared to our place in the world and society. I don't have to do what my parents tell me to do. But there are consequences. I don't have to listen to my boss. But consequences still exist. I don't have to follow the civil laws that are required of any citizen. But consequences will occur. I don't have to do anything. But even in doing nothing, I make a choice. So there's not a time when we don't make a choice in our lives. God, in making us, made us for relationship. He didn't make us to make himself more powerful. He didn't make us to build icons and things to, to, uh, to like, worship this, like, weird facade thing. He made us for relationship. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's evident just through the salvation history of covenants. Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, culminating in Jesus. You see, there are consequences with any relationship when we ignore it, reject it, or turn away from it. But the opposite's also true. When we listen, accept, and turn towards something, there's great reward. 
with God, it just so happens that it has to deal with our eternal souls. So it's not something to be taken lightly. Okay, and we can choose what we want, but we don't have to be in heaven. So what about all those people who believe this thing over there or, or don't believe in that or the people that have different faiths, people who aren't Catholic but they're still Christians, people who have never heard of God, the people on the deserted island, what about them? Well, in one sense, that's great that there's a concern. That's, that's beautiful that there's a compassion in our hearts to be worried about them. Maybe people are asking those questions just to try to justify their own choices. Well, they don't believe and go to church, so maybe I don't have to do that thing. That person acts like this over here, so maybe I can do that as well. Like, there's no consequence. There's no issue. Again, free will. Choose what you want. Heaven doesn't have to happen. In all of this, it's really important to, to hear this part. I'm not saved by my faith alone. That's a very common misconception that many of our Protestant brothers and sisters uh, emphasize. And, and the problem is those lines in Scripture, particularly the Ephesians line, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, has been so abused and taken away from context that, that we've lost, like, what is Paul really trying to say there? Because if we maintain scriptural truths, right, keeping all of it together, then we see in today's gospel, right, today alone, how God will judge us. God doesn't judge us and say, well, you had faith and you didn't have faith. Sheeps and goats, there you go. No, he actually judges us by what we did. When we fed the hungry, clothed the naked, took care of the ill. So it's not my faith only or faith alone that saves me. And again, this is probably one of the greatest points that led to the Protestant Reformation. There's, there's others, but this is a, a kind of a central point. And they're combating against this issue about works alone. Well, it's true. I can't buy my way into heaven. I can't earn through all the good things I do a place with God in heaven so if it's not faith alone it's not works alone what is it it's faith with works it's works with faith you see even Paul says this if you have faith but don't have love then you have nothing and Paul actually never says that we're justified by faith alone it's actually in the letter of James that that comes out, and it's expressly condemned. So what we can discover is, yeah, I'm not saved by my faith alone. I'm not saved by my works alone. In fact, there's only one person who's ultimately saved me, and that's Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, has led to my opportunity for salvation. But love is the criterion of faith and works. That what I do for the least of my brothers and sisters, I do out of love because of the faith I possess. The works that I supply, that I provide, are because of the faith that I'm a part of. The works I do is because I've been motivated by the faith 
that exists. So they can never be separated. Right, we cannot buy our ticket to heaven. That's a huge problem. But I can't sit around doing nothing saying, I believe in God and that's enough. My faith will save me. No, actually, Jesus saved us. Oh, and the scriptures, you know, God's infallible word. How did we come to have this? Not by scripture alone, but by tradition. The fact that the canon of the Bible is composed, compiled through tradition. Because there's nowhere in scripture it says scripture alone. It's scripture and tradition. It's faith and works. It's, it's all combined. It's both and. What's important to see in this is that someone is fighting for you. Fighting for your soul. Fighting for your eternity. Do we realize people fight for our souls? That there's a war going on for them? Sometimes. Maybe sometimes we're grateful. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes the ones who are supposed to fight for our souls do actually more damage. And so there's a a need for us to forgive our brothers, our sisters, husbands, wives, spouses, friends, because we can't build on hatred. So we shouldn't ridicule, blaspheme, tear down, make fun of anything towards the other. So when I speak about my brothers and sisters from other Christian denominations, it's not in an effort to make them feel worse. It's in an effort to bring to light more truths, to have conversations, debates, dialogues even. And yet it seems more often than not, when it comes from anyone else looking in on the Catholic faith, man, people love to tear us down and love to make fun of us. I just saw a video recently. It was some Protestant pastor, I have no idea who or where, but he was openly and adamantly mocking uh, the Catholic faith, particularly when it came to the sprinkling rite. Now, I love the sprinkling rite, right, because I get to throw water at you. It's awesome. It's great. (laughs) But it's also this reminder of our baptismal graces, the fact that we've been born into the family of God. It's not, the sprinkling rite does not baptize one. You know, I had someone ask me that once. It's like, no, if you're not baptized, the sprinkling rite will not baptize you. However, it's a reminder of what's been given to us. But this, this individual, in his service, went and found a bishop's mitre, put it on his head, got some fake chasuble, and then like openly just starts mocking and making fun of this tradition of ours, this rite of ours, this ritual. And I'm thinking, man, that's just messed up. That's not going to build relationship. That's not going to heal division. I mean, that hurts seeing that. But I shouldn't retaliate. So we're called to forgive. We're called to forgive all people because we can't build on hatred. And in the midst of all of this, right, this idea, it's not faith alone, it's not works alone, it's faith and works, that it's not scriptural and it's tradition, that there's someone fighting for our soul, then we're called to be challenged. 
to challenge ourselves, to seek after truth, to seek after knowledge, to check and check again, why do I believe what I believe? Think about even the rejection that we experience from people. That's, that's just an awful feeling sometimes, this rejection. And now reverse it and think about the rejection that we give to God when we say, I don't want you. I want that thing more. It's a free will. It's a choice. Don't have to be in heaven. So is there something that we're afraid of or concerned about with being kind? Is there something that, that makes us nervous about being openly Christian to like love one another? Is that, if that's the criterion that's meant to direct everything? I think the world's created a no-win situation for us because we can't ask questions anymore about gender, masculinity, femininity, faith, culture. These are all taboo topics. Don't talk about them. But this is exactly what we need to talk about. It's exactly what we need to defend. It's exactly where we need to lean in. If you look at this gospel again, and you think about the other readings, Jesus is not saying anything new. Again, he's the infallible word of God. He is God. He's not saying anything different than that hasn't been said. In Ezekiel, that first reading, talks about the shepherd distinguishing the sheep. See, the, the difference here is when Jesus speaks about this, he's emphasizing the righteous and the, the non-righteous. But the righteous, the ones who did the stuff, they did it without knowing there would be a reward. They did it because it is the right thing to do, because they love their brothers and sisters. Whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. It doesn't say they had faith. It just says what they did. Now, you could make the argument that, you know, we're taking that out of context, but you got to look at the bigger picture, too. Like, this is not just a, a one-line-alone situation. Because what does he say to those on the left? Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Was Jesus speaking literally or another hyperbole? He's been doing that a lot lately. I don't think we should run the risk that it's a hyperbole here. How important is it for us to care for the least of others, to love our brothers and sisters, to walk with one another, that our faith out of love leads us to do things? So let's not worry about who will be offended if we speak the truth. Instead, let's worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if we don't. One final thought regarding those people who are fighting for our souls, those people who are doing everything they can to bring us back into the Lord. At least there's one right here today. But there's a lot out there. And something that's just been on my own mind lately is the more that we can encourage and promote the importance of confession within our families. What I mean by this is a lot of times people, they go to confession and, and 
or they've, they've not gone to confession and they, they go to communion and they receive communion when they shouldn't be because they're not in a state of grace because they're afraid of what people will think about them. They're afraid that if they go to confession, their spouse sees them taking a blessing, they're going to be like, the spouse is going like, to come at them like, why, why did you not go to communion? Da, 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 da. Like, there's going to be like an attack there. I think we need to start promoting more in the family and encouragement to go to confession and not to judge the individual if they're not going to communion. Instead, it's like, wow, I need to fight for your soul, not tear you down. It's just something to ponder. So as we move into the Advent season, we are called, brothers and sisters, to re-examine and, and, and seek out a, a penitential season. A time to prepare for the coming of Christ. And so, maybe you've already done it. No judgment, truly. But let's not rush into Christmas. Let's not rush into all of the decorations and trees and everything else if you already if you already decorated that's okay it's okay but let's not skip advent let's not bypass this season just trying to get to the celebration of Jesus's birth let's live this this time that's been set aside for us so that we can allow our faith and our works to love our neighbors to, to come about, that we can, can speak a truth to someone that needs to hear it, that we can fight for the souls of the people we care about and fight for the souls that we'll never encounter. God made us for relationship. He wants to be in relationship with us. Do we want to be in a relationship with him?